Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartsman. I'm Bianca Bremen. And I'm Lara Chan Baker. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group, which is a creator production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. What originally started as a business conference for artists and fellow creatives is now being turned around to shine a light on our clients. From art buyers and creative teams to fellow producers and managers, this podcast is all about offering a glimpse into the work we do as the bridge between clients and creatives. It's an ongoing exploration of how to wrangle the creative process to achieve excellence no matter what the medium. This week, we're taking a bit of a break from our interview series to get back to our nerdier tech roots and take a deep dive into the world of blockchain and specifically how it's currently shaping the creative landscape as well as clues to where it might lead. But before we get our decentralized databases on, how is everybody going? Super, super well. How are you guys? Well, I missed you both <laughs> last week. We missed Can you believe too, we're Bianca. at episode 20? We are at episode 20. Very exciting. And we actually, I think we have one of our first kind of corrections to make. Not a correction so far, but we did get, I think, Ooh. the most feedback that we've ever gotten was from our episode where oh. we talked about blagging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to give a um, a shout out to Kieran Lewis, who um, wrote us a lovely email and just kind of and filled us in a bit more because I think there was a bit of a blind spot into the, the regional dialect, um, especially in uh, in London, about what blagging actually is. It's an older phrase than I think we originally gave it credit for coming from the 18th or sorry, the 19th century. And um, as Kieran says, it's as ingrained in British society as fish and chips to blag something is seen as heroic in an almost dastardly and somewhat charming way, um, which is why he loves it. So thank you so much for yes, letting us know about Alex that. Alex also, uh, also messaged me to say that uh, it's actually, yeah, really common English slang, which means to sort of just get away with something or, or steal something, but it could also be like the gift of the gab. Indeed. So thank you everyone for kind of writing in. That was very, very handy. So getting started like we like to do every week is some of the little mini links that have been floating around our professional development Slack. And um, um, B, you are leading the charge here um, with mm. an email newsletter for a new product that's about to launch called Fluff. Um, tell us a bit more about it and why we're talking about this today. So Fluff is a beauty brand, a cosmetics line, which is being formulated for teen and tween girls. And it's in development actually by a good friend of mine, Erica Gurrietz. Erica walks away from two... <laughs> I think so. I don't I've know. Erin, maybe she can pull me up on it. Erin um, walked away from the two businesses that she co-founded in her early 20s with two friends about a year ago um, to go out on her own. And she's actually been documenting the process of building this new brand via a fortnightly email newsletter. And it's, it's really interesting. She's published three so far. Um uh, and it kind of intends to cover everything from investment to production, organization, people, products, and branding. But it's a really honest look. And it's been fascinating to me, especially being her friend and talking about a lot of this stuff. And I feel like I'm being in even an extra layer of vulnerability from reading um, reading into kind of, yeah, what is actually going into building a brand and, you know, actually kind of reading about the the money that's spent and, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, sharing this kind of like transparent businesses that are being transparent about their process seems to be a bit of a running theme on the podcast. And yeah, I mean, if you're interested in um, what is actually going into building a product, then 
I'd recommend signing up for it. Yeah, we talk a lot about the different um, I mean, areas of transparencies that different um, you know products are kind of putting out there, and I think it's a great it's a great marketing tactic because it so many people are starting business and doing their own things. Like, there's no other place to learn about those things than from other people talking about them. So, yeah, I really kind of like the way that she's been doing it as well, and kind of a serialized format that's kind of um, you know text based, which is yeah, great. Next up, something that we are kind of seeing a lot more about is you know really kind of talking about AI and how it's going to really affect our industries or industry as a whole. And um, Laura, you found this great piece from Mother Jones um, that was a bit alarming, to say the least, or the headline was. I mean, alarming but realist. I've read countless articles on AI and its effect on various industries, especially the creative industry. And this is my favorite by far. Um, And I love Mother Jones so much. Um, So this is from an awesome journalist called Kevin Drum. And the article is called, You Will Lose Your Job to a Robot and Sooner Than You Think. And there are millions of articles on this exact same topic, um, so many that I'm, like, starting to get kind of sick of it. But this is really, really blunt, and and it takes a really interesting approach. So it starts by saying, uh, sometime in the next 40 years, robots are going to take your job. I don't care what your job is. If you dig ditches, a robot will dig them better. If you're a magazine writer, a robot will write your articles better. If you're a doctor, IBM's Watson will no longer assist you in finding the right diagnosis from its database of millions of case studies and journal articles. It will just be a better doctor than you. And CEOs, sorry, robots will run better companies than you do. Artistic types, robots will paint and write and sculpt better than you. Think you have social skills that no robot can match? Yes, they can. Within 20 years, maybe half of you will be out of jobs. A couple of decades after that, most of the rest of you will be out of jobs. Anyway, it goes on and on and on, and then eventually it starts to tackle some of the most common um, arguments that uh, people who uh, sort of are refuting this sort of like AI takeover, some of the arguments that they put forward, and it, and it debunks them, and that's sort of scary but also really, really fascinating. And then it also looks at basically um, sort of which jobs would be going first and why, but then the benefits of that and then how we as a society – need to deal with it because it's no longer a hypothetical policymakers and governments and society at large need to figure out how they're going to deal with massive unemployment and so it looks at various versions of universal basic income um how you could potentially actually like tax robots or socialize the robot workforce it's super super interesting um and fantastic illustration as awesome well. awesome illustration and i think the final takeaway is that governments are so uh, tied to these short-term uh, platforms and you know uh, policies that that just win them votes in immediate elections, but they seriously, seriously, need, this is going to be an enormous problem, global problem that needs to be solved in some way or another, and all governments need to sort of come together and figure out a way to tackle this. Well, given how well we're doing on kind of climate change and global warming, I think this is going to we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on a good path. We're going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> in in a kind of somewhat reaction to this piece, this actually was from a few weeks ago, but this is um, from the New York Times um, in uh, their section called the Upshot, which is um, what is your opposite job? <laughs> which basically you put in kind of what your job is, and it kind of says you know what the opposite version of that is. And there's not many things kind of for advertising or production, but when when I put in. Um, advertising, you know, it came to advertising promotion manager. And the opposite job of that is a model. (laughs) 
They keep like these really detailed and weird um, records of like skills and tasks that are required for each job. So they've just like looked at what's on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, you get this breakdown. So it says advertising promotion managers use these skills the most. One, communications and media. Models use these skills the most. Ability to maintain balance (laughs) and gross body coordination and trunk strength. Three things which I am incredibly lacking of at the moment. Um, So look, I mean, it's pretty accurate. So, you know, put your job in there. See what you get. Uh, We will put the links to this and all the other things we chatted about on our show notes at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. And you can also sign up to our podcast-specific newsletter, which comes out every Friday when our episodes are announced. And you can sign up for that at tinyletter.com slash jackiewinter. And we'll move on from there. If you've bought or sold anything in the last few years, you've more than likely come across the term Bitcoin or a number of other cryptocurrencies. The technology that makes this all happen is called a blockchain. And if you're following the current trends, um, it's the word on the tip of everyone's tongue. Uh, Much like VR and AR, which we covered previously, many other industries are really trying to figure out the broader use of the tech, especially in the marketing and advertising communities. So to that end, we thought we'd kind of come back to our more kind of exploratory content and dip our toes in and report back our findings for those who might might want to stay ahead of the curve in their own practice and just kind of find out what it's all about and how it might be relevant. So yeah, this, this has been a bit of a funny one for me because I think, you know, really one thing I really try to do with this podcast is give myself kind of time and space to actually investigate something I'm interested in or hearing a lot about. And I have spent many weeks and many hours, you know, not just now, but in the past many years trying to get my head around it. And the bad news is that I don't don't think I'm any closer to figuring it out. But I think, um, you know, Laura, one thing that you always kind of bring to this is, you know, a great analytical and research perspective. And I know you spent some time just kind of going to basics. So maybe, um, you know, tell us a bit more kind of what you found, like just a bit of a primer on what blockchain actually is. Totally. So yes, the problem with most blockchain explainers is that they do tend to provide a bit more detail than what actually matters to most people using language that's totally foreign. And, and you know, to anyone who isn't some kind of tech genius, uh, they sort of wind up leaving people a bit more confused than when they started, which is basically what happened to me at first as well. Um, and then I found um, a few really great pieces of, of um, resource, in particular this brilliant article uh, from the Financial Review by Jamie Skeller, which helped me start to dismantle some of the complexities of what the hell blockchain is. Um, and that plus a lot of other reading has helped me sort of start to get my head around it. So I'm going to try and explain it as simply as I can to you now. Uh, jumping right in, a blockchain is a distributed database, which otherwise is uh, you know known as a distributed ledger. And all that means is that it's basically a record book that's shared by many people. Um, And it was originally developed to support Bitcoin. So a shared record book in itself doesn't sound very complex, but the modern version of this shared record book is actually quite the technological triumph and one that's really looking to shape our future in some pretty profound ways. So to be clear, this isn't just one record book stored in a central location that can be accessed by many people. There are actually thousands of copies of this record book stored on computers all around the world, both home computers and business services, servers rather, hence, you know, the term decentralized. So this means that the records that it keeps are truly public and easily verifiable. So no centralized version of this information exists for a hacker to corrupt. So the information that it stores is highly secure and incorruptible. So that's one key element. 
the record book itself can be used to record sort of many kinds of things, but I'll use um, sending and receiving money as the primary example as it's definitely the most common one right now. So very, very, very simply, uh, let's say John wants to send some money to Sue. So a new line item or block is created detailing that transaction. That line item then gets sent off to hundreds of other computers who have a copy of the record. Those computers confirm that this transaction is authorised and ultimately they agree or they disagree that everything about the transaction is legitimate before giving it a tick of approval. So it has to match up perfectly on every copy of the record and this all happens incredibly quickly. So it's as if John and Sue basically had a few hundred mates stand around them as, and watch as John handed Sue the money and they all agreed that he really did hand her the money and as well as you know various other aspects of the transaction such as it being the right amount. So the genius of this shared record book is that it basically requires no bank, no centrally owned company. You don't have to place your trust in any financial institution. There doesn't need to be any middleman of any kind. And what this means is that we're shifting the trust in business transactions from any one company or entity to fully decentralized software. And that's a huge shift in the way that our world works. So the record book as well as or blockchain is um, also what we call immutable or in layman's terms, it's irreversible. Every line entry made will exist in perpetuity for as long as the internet exists. And because of those sorts of technology design decisions, fudging line items in, in the blockchain is basically impossible. So if someone you know who has one or, or more copies of, of the blockchain on their computer was to try and dishonestly change it, those changes would then be rejected by the many computers used in the verification process. Anyway, that's a very, very basic starter guide to what blockchain is, which doesn't really give you the full understanding of why this technology is so revolutionary. But when you start to dig a bit deeper and think about all of the potential use cases in healthcare, trading, government, shopping, the internet of things and, and so on, it's pretty eye-opening and, and many experts are saying that blockchain technology is going to disrupt our world in very much the same way that the invention of the internet did. So it, it's a big deal and the tech industry has well and truly latched on. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm hearing kind of a lot of the same things. And again, there are so many primers out there and it's in the amount of information out there is almost as overwhelming as the information itself. I don't think we can, we're going to cover everything here, but yeah, what I think what our interest on the on this podcast is is really kind of talking about how it could potentially or how it is being used in creative industries, and that's kind of what everyone's trying to figure out now. Yeah, but I think, definitely, I think like something to remember is like I think a lot of the key benefits seem to stem from two main aspects of the blockchain system, which is cutting out middlemen and complete transparency or removing the possibility of fraud. I think another thing that I've kind of seen as well is this whole idea of speed. And that's kind of, um, you know, where it's used in a lot of financial transactions where it's like, you know, where, where something might have taken three days because, well, taking the middleman out is mm -hmm. what precedes this whole idea of kind of things kind mm -hmm. of getting faster as well because there is no middleman. Everything all the, Everything's, so yeah. it's all about kind of verification and trust. and. But that trust doesn't have to be placed in any one company or one person, which is what makes it possible to trust it. Well, this is where this this is where I, I actually found the biggest kind of stumbling block for me because you know one example I was reading about was how okay like well in a food chain for example if every kind of piece of the manufacturing process like you know if someone says kind of something's organic and they're on the blockchain and every kind of provider or any vendor that's kind of working on that is also involved in the blockchain then everything is kind of verifiable I still don't really kind of quite understand 
where the you know how the first entry is kind of made and how like that it's like you know so if someone says you know something is kind of organic and that's kind of now in the ledger and that's kind of like well you're still relying on that kind of person so it's like it then it has to go back to whoever is kind of checking them and like who is verifying them so I don't like I was trying to kind of trace things back as far yeah. as they could and I, I was having a hard time having like a really large network of verifiers it's brain breaking stuff it is and it's, it's tricky and there are a lot of kind of critics on it as well so I thought you know that was kind of something that was coming up in my research but there are some interesting things about how like I mean particularly in terms of creative work how blockchain can sort of help to protect intellectual property in some way. Well, before we come to that, I mean, B, you've done some research on kind of other use cases and other kind of, I guess, you know, the more kind of critical aspects of um, blockchain. What have you found? I mean, honestly, the hype around a lot of the uses, um, it kind of feels very similar to, you know, like this, this sort of Silicon Valley startup bubble, like sure, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's definitely like legitimate startups that are truly helpful and disruptive. But for like every Airbnb and Uber, there are hundreds of like just irrelevant failures. And it kind of seems like with this kind of technology that, that there's a lot of that as well. Um, there was this great sort of starter video that I would recommend only because it has a really great um, animation by Julian Glander, oh, which was... Yeah, the MIT blockchain explainer video, which I I really enjoyed. But one of the um, applications that they discussed, which is quite practical and it kind of has nothing to do with, you know, advertising or or design, um, is that, you know, using blockchain, it could make electronic health records more portable, basically allowing patients to be able to transfer their records from place to place more easily. But for things like that, I sort of don't really wrap my head around exactly how blockchain works and how it could practically work. But on the surface, things like that seem really challenging as it it requires like a huge amount of organizational change, which kind of seems almost impossible when you take into account scale and bureaucracy. I mean, I think like obviously the the financial sector is is probably the biggest um, industry that is really kind of jumping onto blockchain. But, you know, coming from Australia where we have such a far superior banking system to that here in the US where, you know, it still runs off paper checks, it's incredibly difficult for me to transfer money between friends, like I'm incredibly skeptical about how we can actually be implementing technology like this, uh, I guess, in, in a way that's going to be beneficial, like at scale. I don't know. I mean, no matter how promising like the technology is, you know, can you get different providers to actually jump on board the same thing? Like, I, I think like thinking about sort of like behavioral change or, or system change, like on a really small scale, like I live abroad and I have an iPhone my family, uh, like half of them are on Android and, you know, between like a sister who's antisocial media and a mum who is a little bit of a technophobe, like I ha- I struggle to actually get everyone on the same like messaging platform. Like I, I, I don't quite, I can't quite grasp like how, mm. like in some of these industries, like how blockchain is actually going to be helpful if, unless everyone is using it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it does kind of require a bit, it requires early adopters and things like, you know, eventually mm. do reach a tipping point. But I think one of the things is that yet it's it's about larger institutions um, and I guess the private sector implementing it and it's becoming kind of part of our lives 
already in ways that you know you might not even kind of know about. Well, I guess it's like it's it's hard to speculate. Yeah, it's like it's. I mean, it's it's kind of like us trying to imagine the internet before life with the internet. Like it's really difficult to kind of. Yeah, and all we've got to go off at this point, or at least for me, is like a lot of people who are a hell of a lot smarter than me saying that yes, this is this is something real. This is something important. Yeah, but I mean, I think one one area that like really does interest interest me like kind of moving away from sort of speaking about like uh currency is really in the area of smart contracts which jeremy i assume like that's that's an area that that probably interests you as well um actually i didn't come across that i mean can you tell us a bit more about that well i mean there's an interesting article on harvard business review titled blockchain could help artists profit more from their creative works and that kind of spoke about you know some of the uses of blockchain in um benefiting like cultural industries like art, music, publishing and theatre by like actually helping to sort of build an ecosystem with artist friendly features like things like, um, you know, creating like value templates so that you can construct deals that respect both the artist and the entrepreneur and um, creating like sort of funding mechanisms and kickstarters where artists can actually raise venture capital and then uh, like transparent ledgers that are distributed on the blockchain so that everyone like involved in a project can, you know, whether maybe it's a film project, everyone can kind of see the revenue that a film is generating and who is getting what percentage. So, and then also being able to um, distribute that revenue uh, and divide the profits fairly and without delays, according to actually how much each person contributed to the creative process. So I don't quite understand like actually how blockchain is going to do that, but that's kind of like, I guess, some of the areas that people are speculating that it might be able to be helpful in a practical sense. Uh, I was just going to say on that note, Imogen Heap, the singer-songwriter, she founded something called Mycelia, which um, uses blockchain to create like a, I guess, like a peer-to-peer music distribution system. So the whole idea is, is what you were saying, enabling musicians to sell songs directly to audiences um, and, you know, as well as like licensed samples to producers, divvy up royalties to songwriters and musicians and all of those functions are being automated by smart contracts. Interesting. And I was also reading in the wonderful Fast Company that apparently um, Bjork's new album is all in on blockchain as well, where you can, so not only can you purchase the album using cryptocurrencies, but um, I think you get a, a new cryptocurrency called Audio Coin. Coins, um, which is a specific cryptocurrency um, aimed at the music industry. And then you can kind of unlock these kind of rewards um, by interacting with Bjork and the music or attending shows. And yeah, this whole idea of kind of, well, with Bitcoin, it, the idea is that if you hold on and you're kind of um, mining the currency, you're getting more Bitcoin and certain kind of Bitcoins are released here. And this is a different cryptocurrency and you're getting kind of different, I guess, quote unquote, rewards by interacting that way. So yeah, it's amazing that, um, you know, that Bjork has gotten into this. I'm surprised she got into it before Radiohead had, but um, um, yeah, we'll post a link to that Fast Company article. Um, but I mean, that one, that seems a little bit like, like a marketing exercise, like, but, or like, or is it an entry to to cryptocurrency, like I it's don't, an entry. I don't know. It's a, well, no, I, I think it's a bit of both because but they are country currency is entirely founded on blockchain. Yes, yeah. So they don't exist. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's not like you know she's not like starting a new cryptocurrency. It's going off the back of one that's specifically designed for the music industry, and that's mm-hmm. kind of I think that's what's interesting about the blockchain as well is that they're very kind of um, you know they're very kind of like these ledgers are specific to the different industries that kind of use mm-hmm. them, and I think yeah that's the what people are starting to now do that in the kind of in the 
in the kind of art world, that's where it's kind of becoming a bit more relevant, interesting to us. The first one that I kind of came across, which was, I guess, the inspiration for this whole episode, was a service called Bind It. Um, did mm. you guys check that out at all? No. This is the copyright one. Yeah, this is the copyright one. And this is kind of something that I'm very interested in. And again, this is kind of something where like, I read the whole FAQ and I was like, I still don't understand how it works. <laughs> because it again, it's like, I guess the if you take Laura's um, you know, whole explanation of kind of the ledger, it kind of starts with that. It's like, you know, you basically if you create any kind of original content, then it like and you kind of assert the copyright and assert yourself as the author, you know, you've made that entry. And every time that kind of work is, I guess, reposted or posted somewhere else, um, it's making kind of new entries there. And you're always kind of maintaining your authorship. And that's something that we've spoke about before being very problematic with platforms like Pinterest or, you know, screenshotting or anything that is, um, you know, you know, where work is kind of shared. And I think, yeah, B, this kind of harks back to your point as well, where it's like, well, if for, for something like this to work, how do all these other platforms kind of work together to make sure that ownership is maintained because yeah that's one of the one of the biggest things with artwork as well it's like you can just take a screenshot and repost it there are a lot of people that are working kind of with image metadata and recognition to kind of ensure that ownership kind of travels with an image but that requires a certain like you know it, it, it does require a lot of kind of cooperation, but I think maybe there will be kind of something that will kind of happen that with AI and automation and machine learning and blockchain where these things kind of, kind of eventually converge. Mm. But yeah, it's going to require these kind of companies on the bleeding edge to develop the technology. Yeah, and I think it's still very much in its infancy as much as like it's taken the world by storm and there are people sort of actually actively using these technologies. I definitely, definitely think it's in the early days and we're quite like a while away off seeing actually how it really, really impacts us. I think one of the funniest things, Jeremy, I think the you know, reading the the FAQ for the binded website, I think one of the things that like I, I found pretty funny, which um I, I guess kind of highlights like you know, like it doesn't make sense. I just loved at the end like the last question is like how does binded deal with fraud? And they're like, we care deeply about preventing fraud. It's no easy task. To combat fraud, we are building smart fraud detection tools using machine learning. And then just at the end it's like we have other plans on how we will deal with fraud long <laughs> term we'll share more information in the future like like it's just so like the the language is so uh simple but it doesn't say anything and i don't really know what they're saying no no i know i get what you're saying look i mean it there is a lot that is kind of really vague but i think the whole idea and this is very specific to the u.s copyright system where as soon as you kind of create something you know if you if you were in australia it's you automatically have copyright my understanding is that in the u.s you have to kind of register it with the copyright office and that is kind of an arduous process that's very kind of last century so i guess the idea where you know I think the, the, the premise of buying it is copyright made simple. So there's an idea of a platform that you can kind of register your copyright much easier. And the fact that it's using blockchain, like, you know, to then create a traveling record. And I think we're seeing so many more cases now of fraud and artists kind of being, um, you know, appropriated in ways from other artists as well as kind of other companies. And something like this, you know, even if it's not kind of actively tracking images, something that you can use as kind of proof, um, you know, could possibly dissuade that kind of activity and encourage more kind of original works. But again, copyright as something that you are tracking is a very kind of sticky subject, whereas kind of how currency is kind of being, you know, spent and kind of moved around is a bit more kind of straightforward, I think. Um, mm. I'm also going to be posting a link to something called, oh God, and I, I don't understand startups that come up with names that you cannot pronounce. Like, what is the point? <laughs> anyway, so I, it's like Machinas, but like the, it's M-A-E-C. Messinas? Messinas. Uh, who the fuck knows? 
knows. Anyway, <laughs> what it is is a um, it's a platform, and what they're saying it's called it's the decentralized art gallery. So it's saying the first open blockchain platform that dem- that democratizes access to fine art. And again, read through the fact. <laughs> sorry. Again, read through the FAQ, read through how it works. Still don't understand how it works. Yeah, I read this over and over and over and <laughs> well, over. I think the Telegraph sums it up. It's a new online marketplace which promises to give art lovers the chance to buy shares in famous paintings. So does that mean you just own a piece of the painting and then your, that your I guess, your portion of the painting goes up in value as like a share? Hopefully. Yeah. It's an investment. But what I don't understand with this, for example, is... Why is blockchain required in order for this to exist? Exactly. Apparently, they, again, have developed their own um, cryptocurrency here, which, you know, it's based on, yeah, they've got this thing called an ART token, um, which allows you to kind of participate. So you can participate with cryptocurrency. The idea here with blockchain being, you know, underpinning it is that it's there aren't any intermediaries. So you avoid the very high uh, fees, investment fees, that you would have with any, any other investment that's what I keep reading about. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this whole idea of kind of cutting out the middleman, but like that middleman in this case, like, you know, is also, you know, providing lots of value as well. So sometimes having it's good, but sometimes it's also, that's what enables black markets as well. Like that's how that's like, you know, how Silk Road was able to kind of, um, you know, to grow as well because of that anonymity and because there was nothing there in the middle. Wait, we don't like Silk Road? Kidding. No comments. <laughs> Not around anymore, is it? I don't no. know. Um, I think the one of the best ways to kind of bring this home is a very recent article, actually, that came out on AdAge um, at the end of October, um, which is called 27 Ways Marketers Can Use Blockchain. And I think this is, like, reading this and just reading over these mm. bullet points, like, I think that this is probably sh- where it's kind of showing the biggest amount of promise. Because, again, if you look at the idea of blockchain about being about trust and verification that's where kind of so many of the stickier issues are like in media and especially in Mm. media buying at the moment so like you know how are you proving you know what is a genuine ad impression and people that are continually trying to game the system and especially like some of the biggest shakeups that have happened in the advertising world have happened with uh, media companies and this whole idea of having transparency over kind of discounts and engagement and things like that and number one on this list of 27 things is you know very Verifying ad delivery, confirming that a real person saw the ad for the contractually bound duration. And I think that is a and is a huge one. Um, it goes on to um, list a whole bunch of other points that I think everyone should kind of have a read over. But um, really just kind of, you know, I think the fact that it could make more relevant advertising, whether that's a good kind of or a bad thing, I think it's kind of has some some positive things there. Um, in influencer marketing as well, um, verifying that influencers are really influencers and they meet the marketer's criteria and verifying, you know, that people's followers are real and not bots. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I th- there's a lot of verification tools here that I think could uh, clean up this kind of area a lot. Did any of you guys have a chance to read through this list at all? Yeah, I mean, there's also, they kind of touched on, you know, verifying voting for award shows or sponsored content so that each person actually just gets one vote. Uh, or, you know, like in uh, another one that they touched on was in, um, I guess, being able to purchase or license rights from content creators. Like, I guess there's an interesting area that, which kind of goes back into the sort of smart contracts 
the area of blockchain, which I think is I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah, I think look, the security aspect of things is 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 a real big deal here because in addition, like and my understanding of this and why it's kind of secure is that because it's decentralized and because it exists on hundreds or thousands of people's um, you know, computers, that there's no kind of like one um weak link. Like if you want to hack it, you couldn't just hack one person, you'd have to hack everyone kind of on the chain. Yeah, and it would take a preposterous amount of machine power to do something like that. Well, and yeah, whether or not we're getting there is another kind of question because the amount of, like, if you look at Bitcoin, for example, like, you know, it's going to, it's getting to the point where no kind of, um, you know, personal or even kind of business grade computer can do it. Like you need, they set up these Mm. kind of mining rigs, which are cost you know, almost more than it costs to kind of get back in there. So, but look, there is this kind of idea of kind of trust and restoring kind of trust um, through this system. And I think that's kind of the most promising thing that if, uh, and, and that's kind of where I think whether it's kind of media or advertising in general, people kind of have lost that kind of trust in a way. And I think if blockchain can help bring some of it back, then that's going to be a good thing for everyone. I think we'll leave it there. We will post the links to all of these great articles if you want to kind of do your own exploration on blockchain on our podcast site, jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. And that's it. Ending as we like to every week, talking about the most Melbourne and the most New York thing that's happened to us in the last week. Um, I think, you know, the most Melbourne thing for me, it doesn't. It only happens in Australia and it mostly only happens in Melbourne where they have these public holidays that only one state has and no other state has as well. So yesterday was the Melbourne Cup public holiday, a truly ridiculous holiday for, um, you know, a sport that I think has uh, is very questionable in terms of how it treats animals. Um, but I'm not going to get into the policy that right now. But um, yeah, I did have to man the office for any of our um, clients from interstate. But also, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to be in the office um, just alone. And I get to do like Thanks lots of... Well, it, it's it's quite nice. I, I got to take a lot of things off of my big list, especially kind of um, trying to figure out a new way to record the podcast. So we're recording it in GarageBand now. And of course, like I got so sidetracked um, because there's all these like really cool effects that you can put on your voice. So I'm going to go... Let me see if this works over here. Am I in monster voice now? No. Am I in robot voice now? No. no. I'm in nothing now. Oh, is it on my one? Is it on your one? Um, Laura, what about you? What is the most Melbourne thing for you? I'm in pretty, you know, classic Australian favourite activity. I went to Bunnings on the weekend, my favourite place. Um, also, my daughter's favorite place because they give you the free I balloons. I have a boyfriend to drive me there. Oh, sick. So good. <laughs> and then to like build the things that I buy from there. Anyway, so I went to Bunnings and like for anyone who's like not from Australia or just like has, I don't know, closed their eyes for the last 20 years, um, Bunnings TV ads famously use people from their stores, like actual staff in their ads. Um, I guess probably because they don't have to pay them any money. Um, and I'm like, pretty sure or like probably like only like 70 percent sure but pretty sure that i saw someone in the store from one of the bunnings ads that's how they get you low prices (laughs) are just the beginning and b what about you in new york 
Well, I know you guys touched on Halloween last weekend, but Halloween, you know, does go for the entire month of October, even though we're creeping into November now. But it was Halloween, which I think is now my favorite holiday of the year because you just get to dress up. But um, I'm going to throw it back to my last Halloween, my first Halloween in New York City. Um, I dressed as Patrick Bateman. And I live in a pretty Hispanic um, neighborhood. And my favorite moment was standing out the front of my friend's apartment and he was uh, throwing blood, fake blood on my face to get me into the character of Patrick Bateman. And there was this old guy from the bodega kind of like hovering, like hovering around us speaking Spanish. And of course, like I don't speak any Spanish. And after this awkward moment of getting my face splattered with fake blood and this guy just talking to us or talking at us in Spanish, I finally asked my friend what the hell he was talking about. And turns out he was just giving him art direction. (laughs) That's New York. Okay, I think we'll end it there. Thank you so much, Bianca. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. This has been Jackie Winder Gives You the Business. Jackie Winder Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Arij Noor. You can find the Jackie Winder Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y and Winter like the season. And you can email us with any recommendations, feedback, questions, comments or potential interview guest at podcast at JackieWinter.com. Archives of all of our shows and all of our show notes can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.biz, or you can sign up to our weekly newsletter where we give you the show notes and episode notification every Friday at tinyletter.com slash JackieWinter. Our theme music is by Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on SoundCloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you love what you hear, you can help us out by subscribing on iTunes, rating us, and commenting too. Details on our website at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.biz. Biz. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Bye bye. I also got to record in this cool voice like this. That makes me sound like I'm on an old telephone. I think I spent about an hour of time that I shouldn't have recording in these dumb voices.